Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue. This is your host, Ty Davis, and I wanted to dedicate this month's episodes to a cause that is very special to me. This month, we're focusing on sexual assault and domestic violence awareness. Stay tuned after the episode for details on where you can get help if this is you. Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue, and today we have our guest, a special guest, uh, child advocate and educator, Atala Pomoja. Atala, say hello. Hi, greetings. Thank you so much for having me on, Ty. This is Atala. Yay. I'm so glad that you um, were able to come on today. Um, uh, just to share a little bit of background, Atala and I met at a cultural competency workshop and had a wonderful conversation um, as we all shared stories, and uh, she shared with me some things about what she does, and I thought were just so amazing. So, Atala, you're you're a model, a wardrobe stylist, a child advocate, and an educator. Can you share about how some of all of this came about? Well, it's just kind of like one of those things where I feel like it's just life purpose. It's just continuing on your journey mm-hmm. and picking up skills and connecting with things that you know that you love to do and just giving yourself permission to do them. I mean, that's really what it is for me. And I believe that people should be able to do that. I believe in designing the life that you want. Mm. And so I'm six feet tall. It was Mm -hmm. just one of those things where it was like, as a child, as a teenager, it was, does she play basketball? Mm -hmm. No. I played a little volleyball, but it was definitely, I was going in the direction of modeling. And so, you know, by the time I was 19, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this out. So I started modeling when I was 19. Um, I have a background. Um, I'm Afro-Latina, and my family's from Panama, Costa Rica. And I just embraced the things that are my specifics then. I knew I always wanted to work with children. Mm -hmm. I'm an older sibling. I'm the older sibling. And it was just like I interned in high school at a nursery school. And when I was in elementary school, I said I wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And at at one point it was pediatric nurse, pediatrician, but teacher stuff. So um, I had been predominantly an early childhood educator. I've worked with children in elementary school ages as well and been a mentor, currently mentored to a now 19-year-old who is officially a college student in a at uh, Georgia State University, and so I've just spent a good portion of my adult life pretty much working with children in all of these different ways, and after being educated for some years, I just knew that I had to turn it up, and I think that when you do something for a little while, you start realizing, oh, this is some things that I'm noticing. Mm -hmm. Um, I I realized that there's more that needs to be done. How can I fine-tune this? fine-tune this, excuse me, mm-hmm. how does this become more relevant for me and my work? How can I be more purposeful? And I decided that I wanted to become a child advocate. Oh, yes. Knew people, yeah, I knew people who were doing that work, and I was like, yeah, because I'm having these conversations with educators and with directors and with administrations and schools, and I'm like, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And at the time, I didn't really know why I was becoming a child advocate, but I knew that it was something that I had to do. Mm-hmm. And so in Atlanta um, and across the country, 
there is uh, CASA, which are uh, court-appointed child advocates, yeah. special advocates for children, mm-hmm. and I became a court-appointed child advocate. It wasn't the most fun for me being in the court, but it gave me a real insight on some of the things that are going on with our children, and it gave me, like, real-world experience, and I was like, this is powerful that I can be around a child who has experiences and who is transitioning out of this horrible situation that they were in and that I get to be a part of that process for them, you know, and it's not fun. You know, it's, there's, there's some very, very sad days. There are some days where it's like, this is so sad. You know, how can I continue doing this? This is so sad to hear these stories of what happens to children who are not supported. So, so how, how do you, how do you manage your own self-care during this process? So that's the thing too, you know, so thinking about, you know, sharing, me sharing the things that I do, I have to definitely be a balanced person. So it might sound like, oh, you work a lot or you work hard. I believe in design in my life. So I'm definitely an an orthodox woman. I guess I could be described that way. Mm -hmm. I try to do absolutely everything that I love. And if that means that I'm staying in, I'm staying in. If that means I'm going out, I'm going out. If that means I'm dancing for hours, I'm going to do that, right? And so I've just learned over the years to give myself permission to Mm. do the things that I love. Because you have to have a balance. You have to be able to balance this stuff out, especially when you do work where you're serving. You have to be able to serve yourself. You have to be able to say, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to wear that. So if you see me, you might not notice that. You might you might notice that I look a little bit different from the last time you see me. And that's because that's just what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do with my hair or that's what I wanted to wear. And so all of those things in my self-care, you know, the way that I eat, the way that I treat myself, and also the way that I advocate for myself mm. to teach people how I should be, how they should engage with me. I think that's really important. That's what advocacy really is. You know, it's about it is. It everything. is. Everything. If people have to mm-hmm. understand, it's important. Um, part of, I think, why people find such difficulty in interacting with others is that we have normalized a lot of negativity, a lot of individualism in our culture, but we do that in a way that's only considering ourselves. We don't consider how the other person on the other end of whatever type of relationship it is wants to be treated. And just giving that person respect and honor in that space, that's one of the most healing things that we can do within our community. If if you wouldn't mind, would you take a little time and, and talk about your story? Sure, sure. So I shared that I became a child advocate a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I didn't really know what made me do it. Like, yeah, I knew someone who was an advocate. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, what? You know, and now I look back two years, you know, two, three, four years later, and I'm like, wait a minute. There is a, a connection here. There's a connection here where I am actually trying to save children because I was not supported when I was their age, Mm. because I have had similar experiences that they did, because 
I am a victim of child sexual abuse and also as an adult of sexual assault. Yeah. And so when I say victim, I know some people prefer to say survivor. I mm-hmm. say victim mm-hmm. because if you were burglarized, if somebody, you know, shot you with a gun, you would be called a victim. And so for me, we have to make sure that we criminalize child sexual abuse, sexual yes. abuse, rape, yes. sexual assault. Those those are crimes. Yes, they are. And so for me, I, I'm fine with being called a survivor, but I will continue to call myself a victim. And I don't see it as weakness because it has to be clear that this is a crime against humanity, it period. Is. And I don't, I, I don't, I don't even have conversations with people arguing about it. I need for people to know that burglary is a crime, murder is a crime, right? Animal cruelty is a crime, and so are uh, so is sexual abuse. And so that's when you know when I started to realize that, okay, you know what, you're a victim, even though you've kind of pacified yourself and you've talked to your partners about it over the years. Mm-hmm. And you were able to share with a couple of people. And I said, this is something where I get to do the work that wasn't done for me. And I'm also still doing the work for myself now. Yes. Yes. I shame. And so it's just been really powerful for me. I just uh, disclosed publicly for the first time at an event. I did a speaking engagement last year in May, right after a, uh, uh, sexual assault awareness and uh, April is also child sexual abuse prevention month. I was I was uh, called to do that and I told my story in public and my father was present and it was really big for me. But I realized how important it was to do that and it's been super freeing. It's been really super freeing for me. And I want people to get to a point where they can have conversations with people and they can say oh, you know, I was in a car accident yesterday. And then they can also say, someone did A, B, C, D, E, F, G to me at a party or when I was a child. That's the, the, we have to get to that point as a society so that people can understand that it happens very frequently, yeah. regularly, and then, then we can get to the bottom of how to continue to be a part of prevention. Absolutely. That's the only way. We can't talk about it in a way where we're whispering and everything is a secret and or we're covering things up because we've all heard the stories of the family members that cover things up. You know we've what? We've all heard the stories of the people that, that lied and protected that public figure. And, and that that's what you said is that's very important. I'm sorry to interject because I just needed to get in here oh, and, no and, and highlight um, what you said and hold space for that this is a crime because and it's very it may seem like it's a very simple understanding that everybody would have that if someone gets raped especially a child that it's a crime but oftentimes it doesn't get we don't process it that way as people our guest last week has talked about how she was sexually assaulted by her step grandfather at six years old and her her grandmother blamed her blamed her, the six-year-old, a child, for being raped. And, and it's a very common thing 
in our culture, in, in just not just in black culture, in American culture, in world culture, globally, you've got 40 million children that are being sexually assaulted. And these children don't have voices, and we have to recognize and acknowledge and hold space. You're absolutely right. Language matters. The language that we use matters. And it is okay to be referred to as a victim because it is true. It is that you are a victim of a crime. It's not your choice. Okay. To You didn't choose to for any of this to happen. And the other important thing that you highlighted is that lots of times people think that sexual assault is, you know, it's like a one-time deal. Most of, exactly. Most often, children live with it through years. It's years of assault. That's correct. And then as young women and teenagers and young adults, even at different various points in our lives, we are often sexually traumatized again because of how this is normalized into our culture. So I just wanted to really bring that out because, you know, about some of these powerful things that you're saying that the audience could really understand. This is why this is so super important. That's that's exactly the case. And so when I, I say for me, advocating is, uh, you know, not waiting until I'm on this radio show with you or not waiting until I have a speaking engagement or when right. I'm doing trainings because I currently train adults. Um, you know, if you're a member or you work for youth, youth serving organization, uh, place of worship, anything, I am trained to do child sexual abuse prevention for adults because I know adults are going to be the ones that are going to have to be able to help children not experience this. And so it's become easier for me to have these conversations with people while people are having a cocktail. You know, these things are coming up. We're seeing these stories uh, presented to us now randomly at any given time. So it's starting to become a conversation that, it's becoming normalized. And mm-hmm. so hopefully that lets people know that, you know what, the same way you can talk about, you know, someone being kidnapped and murdered. And we know now also that many people who are experiencing other uh, forms of victimization also experience sexual abuse. We know that abuse goes hand in hand, right? We know that people yes. get, you know, held up by a gun. And then maybe something else could happen. We know that, you know, children may be experiencing some other form of neglect. And then also they can be experiencing a physical or sexual abuse as well. So we really want people to see like, you know what, this is, this is something that's a part of, it's, it's unfortunately it's a part of life and we have to be able to face it. We can't not talk about it anymore. Right, even when I was just talking to you just now, Ty, mm-hmm. I said A, B, C, D, E, F, G because I didn't want to say certain words. Right? right. I didn't want to say, oh, you know, because, I mean, the things that people have disclosed to me. So now over the years, people have been disclosing to me, sending me direct messages, sending me private messages, emailing me in passing, telling me things like, you know, when I was a child, my uncle you know, things that you, you, we don't even, we can't see them. We don't notice that that's what's happening. But for me to hear someone tell me that when I was a child, their uncle would put them up on, on, on his shoulders and he would take their legs and move their legs back and forth over his shoulders. And he 
would have their their pubic area, their vagina rubbing against their neck, rubbing against his neck, excuse me, mm-hmm. right? And, and to the, you know, to the eye that's not trained to notice that, you think anybody noticed that? And so that's what this person came and told me. Like they said, he did it all the time and nobody knew. Nobody knew because we're not wired to think that these are the things that people can do. But now that we know, it's not to live a life of paranoia, but it's to live a life of awareness. And pay attention. You can't prevent it if you're not paying attention. Right. Being aware, you know, being aware. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea that I grew up with, I grew up with this idea. I grew up in New York. My family moved us to New York when we came from Panama. Excuse me. And I was always told, don't get in the elevator with anybody or, you know, my grandmother would come up with little names for a vagina and she would say, don't let anybody touch it and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But nobody told me that somebody who was living in our house could sexually abuse me. Nobody told me that my mother's boyfriend, who was a father figure to my brother and I, so then now who do I tell? Right. Who do I tell when this person is been left to take care of me when my mother is at work or he takes us to the park and he does things that parents do, but this person is sexually abusing me. But, you know, and many of us, especially people who are from other countries, we're seen and not heard. This whole idea of children not being able to say what's on their mind, that they're back talking or they don't have the right to tell adults certain things. Unfortunately, those are the reasons why children do not disclose because they're afraid that they will get in trouble, that someone will be angry with them. And honestly, they're afraid sometimes that they won't be believed. Also, some predators threaten you. They threaten to take away things from you. After you've been groomed with video games or with food or with clothes, you know, my mother's boyfriend, he would, he would, he was like my friend. He would go to my mom and he would say, Atoma wants some new earrings. And then he would talk my mother into getting them. And then now I have earrings. And I'll be like, wow. So he groomed me to gain my trust. And I thought that he was my ally. There was a point in my life where I did not know that this was inappropriate behavior. But what he was doing, he was... Okay, I'm sorry. He was, you know, it's okay. He was, he was, he was grooming you, and I, I, I wanted to hold space for that as well because, um, it's one of the reasons why we don't recognize that what um, R. Kelly has done to these young women is grooming them. They believe that he's right. their ally. He doesn't. They don't, you know. And, and now imagine, um, I mean, I would venture it's not a far stretch of the imagination to understand that some of these girls are have probably had those experiences as young girls. So when you experience this as a child, it, this type of grooming is normalized for you. It distorts exactly. your idea of what, of how you're supposed to interact with other people about what's safe for exactly. you. And it also, um, the type of grooming you described also creates space for secrets. It's a special secret. Exactly. We you had know? a lot of secrets. Yeah, we had yeah. a lot of secrets. And I knew that, I knew that I had to keep the secrets. Yeah, I'm gonna have to keep the secrets. I know that people would be upset with me if I told 
the secrets. I mean, all the way up until I was an adult. You know, yeah. I mean, I li- my father literally just found out last year. You know, mm-hmm. so, and I I have this clothes. You know, I, that's the thing that I want people to get. Mm-hmm. Don't think that when you're hearing someone's story that you're hearing for, that that this is the first time they told someone. Oh my goodness! Possible that they told other people. Yeah. And they were not well received. They didn't receive the support that they needed mm-hmm. because I did disclose. I disclosed to my brother mm-hmm. years ago. Before my mother passed away, I disclosed to her, which was very difficult to do. And unfortunately, I did not receive the support that I needed. And I still have to remember, you know what? You have to keep going. People don't have, they don't, they don't understand what's happening to you. Sometimes people are feeling so much shame and embarrassment and they're hurt. And they're they're also upset with the predator. Sometimes they are upset with the predator, but they don't know how to take that energy and use it for support. And so sometimes it feels like you don't have anybody. And so for me, I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. And I'm thankful that I have been able to disclose to my partners. I'm thankful that there have been some people who just listened to me and bared with me when I said, I need some personal space. Or, you know, I want to do this, but I don't want to do that. And that's just where I am right now. And even though I'm dressed like this, I need you to give me 50 feet. Because how you're dressed has no bearing on how someone should interact with you. That doesn't give someone permission. It doesn't mean that you're inviting touches, comments, anything. It means that you're dressed that way for good. You're a model for goodness sakes. You you know, we should be able to do what we do in in public. Exactly. Without being blamed for what we're wearing. That's rapist. Rape happens exactly. because of rapists. <laughs> that's right. you know, and that's that's where that lies. Yes. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you what you know. This that's a lot, and I know that feeling. So first, I I have to say I, you know, I can admit a I was I'm a little bit triggered there because um, you know, you didn't have the experience that you needed with your mom. Um, and I'm sorry that happened to you. I know what that feels like when I disclosed. I wasn't believed either. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, sometimes it can be very, um, it's a lot. But you said yourself that you have to go on. You have to keep living. So if you could talk a little right. bit about what did you do to, what did it take for you to heal from all of that? Because that, that's a lot to carry. Well, one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why I choose to continue to use the word victim. Mm-hmm. I didn't use that word for a long time. Mm-hmm. I would say within the last maybe two or three years, I started to use the word victim. I started to use the word, the word sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape. That was very difficult for me to say because it made it seem so real. Yeah. And so I knew that I had to... I definitely knew that I had to do those things. I had to be able to just be able to say, you know, just be able to say those things. It was easier for me a lot of times to describe what happened to me, but not easy for me to say what it was called. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for me, that healing, as many people will tell you, just like if you, you know, had a car accident and you had to get 30 stitches, we know that that takes some time. And we know that you probably will have a physical scar 
mm-hmm. depending on what kind of injury you have mm-hmm. for an extended period of time, possibly your whole life. You hear people say, oh, you know, this scar on my knee, I got it when I was a kid. And you think to yourself, why do they even still remember that? Right? They remember the day it happened, remember how it happened. And even though the, it may or may not be something that has impacted them negatively to, to, to the day now, it's still something that they remember. So think about something that was negatively impacting your life. And this idea that, you know, you walk around and you're at a party or you're at a you're at an event or you're you're the host or you're the person that people came to see. So that's what happens to me in my life when I am teaching or when I'm doing a presentation or um, I'm a wardrobe stylist. So people come to me or I'm sharing with people how to adorn themselves, you know, how to get this really great look for their photo shoot or for a music video. And so people look at you and they think this person looks attractive. This person seems confident. This person doesn't have anything to heal from, but it's an ongoing thing. It's something that you may have to do for the rest of your life. And that can feel agonizing. That can feel like a life sentence. And so if you can put yourself in spaces where, and you can, put yourself in spaces where you are with people who support you as much, as as often as you can. Be with people who support you, people who will advocate for you because you need that to live. You need that to live. And when I say live, I mean physically be alive, right? You know, I I, I hear people, and and I've had days where I said, you know what, I I just don't want to get out of bed. And people don't know that. You know, a lot of people don't know that, right, because they just see you when you get there. They see you when you made it into the office. They see you when you made it to the event. They see you when you made it to the shoot. They see you when you're, they see me when I'm walking down the runway. They don't know what happened before I got there, right? So when you see people and you hear people tell their stories, don't think it wasn't a feat for them to get to that point. When you see people win awards and accolades, don't think that it didn't take work for them to show up and smile and give hugs and be gracious, right? Because there's other things that they could be doing and or may have done, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the best. That wasn't, that was detrimental, unfortunately, to themselves. And so that's what you just try to do every day. And that's why I do this work. I said this the other day. I said, I will never not do this work. I will never not do this work. In some way, shape, or form, I will do this work because it is absolute torture to not be supported. I can't thank you. It is absolute torture. I cannot even thank you enough for sharing what you just shared and the way that you did it is. it spoke to me because it, it it just is a testament to um how this the, this really changes someone's life because it was like you were vocalizing my story vocalizing what my days are like um and it it just it felt so therapeutic to hear someone else vocalize that the days that I can't get out of bed, they're like, but you, you're, you're a podcaster. You've done internet radio. You're a spoken word artist. You're in front of right. people all the time. But they right. don't understand that 
trauma, your body remembers trauma, you know, um, and even though we're healing, we, we, we've done the shadow work, we've, you know, embraced the parts of ourselves that we needed to and learn how to love ourselves all over again, it doesn't mean that we don't hear, you know, hearing these things and containing the stories and knowing what they, what it does to people, what it does to children, and that this suffering is still going on. That's extremely yeah. important, and it's so. It was just very beautiful. I just had to take a, a pause for a minute because it was. I mean, it was. <laughs> that was just such a beautiful moment. Um, it was such a beautiful moment. If 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 you can, um, of course you can. I know you can because this is what you do. And again, I gotta just keep. I I just keep thanking you for 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 having this passion. And for letting me know, it just reminds me that it's okay. Even now, it's like you just ministered to me because even as doing a as being a podcaster, sometimes the I feel like I should just quit. This is so hard to talk about. This is so hard to do. You know, I think I shared earlier that I just wanted to be. I had some devastating news, and I just wanted to curl up in a ball and stay there. But I'm so glad I didn't, and I'm so glad I'm talking to you today to have this conversation. Um, and, and, and I want to, before um, I, I we go off on any other areas, I really wanted to ask you if you could talk about the things specifically that you do um, to, to in your public speaking that raises the awareness about prevention, like what you talked about with the, the lady that shared what her uncle was doing. Um, I think there's lots of things that we can see but we have to be willing to look if we're seeing. Like you said, it's not about being paranoid. It's about being present. That's exactly it. It's definitely about being present, you know, thinking about the, the dynamics of people's relationships. And also, you know, I'm hearing uh, a lot from the from men, from yes. the male community. Yes. I'm hearing people say things like, oh, wow, I guess I'm not going to be able to flirt with women anymore. I guess I shouldn't, you know, buy a woman a drink anymore. You know, I guess I can't, you know, tell a woman that she's attractive anymore because I'm going to be accused of some form of sexual assault. And one thing that I tell my students, one thing that I tell people, and one of the most amazing things for me to hear is a three-year-old or a five-year-old or an eight-year-old say, I don't want to hug right now. Yeah. Their parents. Yes. To their parents, to their grandparents, to to, to somebody who they love and who loves and cares about them and who is not a predator or hopefully is not a predator. To be able to say that to people in your life. If you're in a relationship with somebody right now and they tell you that because you're in a relationship with them and or maybe because they pay your rent or because they bought you a vehicle or because you have access to a world because of them, that you have to do anything sexually for them, that is that is sexual abuse. That is sexual abuse. A lot of times, that's where that's where uh, sex trafficking comes in, where people use money in a way to control you so that you can live and or have a better life. That is what R. Kelly has done. Yeah. That's what R. Kelly has done. He's used his infamy and his and his uh, wealth to control people to the point where you have people who are in his organization, as I like to call it, same thing with the religious institutions. You have used money and power 
to control people. So there are people who know that these things are going on. Yeah. They see these things are going on. They hear things. They close the door. They walk away because they're getting paid. Oh. You know? And so now you have victims who who may feel like they're getting some benefits. Sometimes they're just getting basic life life things. But maybe they're getting really great things, too. And they don't want to let go of that. And so you hear these conversations that people are having. And I took a, a little bit of a hiatus on social media because when the R. Kelly uh, documentary came out, or I think it's a documentary because mm-hmm. I still have not watched it. But when I hear the feedback that people are giving, saying things like, why did those girls get in the car? Or what were they doing at these studios? Or where were the parents? Mm-hmm. Or where or where were the parents, right? Mm-hmm. So I love I love to hear where were the parents because yes I agree where were the parents, mm-hmm. but I also think to myself we're all responsible. All yeah. of us are responsible because if Everybody. you if you think the parents weren't there, trust and believe there was somebody at that McDonald's mm-hmm. where R. Kelly used to go meet those girls. There was somebody at that McDonald's that saw what, what was happening because people, I've seen them go online. People I've in the city, the people in that city will tell were, you. They were from Chicago. That's people, right. Oh, I'm from Chicago, and I used to see him come to that McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? But that was 20 years ago. They've known for 30 years. They've known for years. And that's and that's exactly right. That's my point about that. Where were the parents? Where's your responsibility? Are you mean to tell me because you're not a parent, you're going to watch this man do something with this right. child that you know that's is not right? right? That's you, right. And you're not going to say that's nothing right. to nobody? Exactly. And so I tell people, I said, you know, people ask me, well, what can I do? You know, I don't have children. I don't work with children. I don't really see children that often i hear people tell me they don't see children that often i said that's not true mm-hmm. every time you go to the supermarket you see children every mm-hmm. time you step, step into a store, store you see children when you leave your home and you pass that bus stop and you always see those children at that bus stop and mm-hmm. one day you don't see them and two days you don't see them mm-hmm. and three days i always say where's that child that child was always there where's that child right there's different there's you can be present in ways that don't necessarily mean that you necessarily have to be standing there. When you see that child, I remember when I lived in the suburb of Atlanta, I saw a child standing outside of an Aldi's and people walked by that child and he was begging for money to get food. It was Mm. 6 p.m. And people walked by that child. And I Mm -hmm. said to myself, wait a minute, this is a child begging for money and it was myself and another woman and she and we went inside and we said wait a minute something's not right here and so you don't know that child could be getting trafficked that child could be kidnapped that child could be in a home where they're not being treated well so be present like you said Ty being present is so valuable be present in people's lives be present in your life engage with people in a way where they know that you are there they know that you are there. Too many people have seen women get fondled in the clubs. Too many people have, you know, seen people treat people a certain way because they identify as transgender. We all see it. We laugh about it. We can't laugh anymore. It's not funny. Right? All these conversations, all these conversations that we have, and you hear people say what they did when they were in the locker room and when they were at the gym 
and you know they looked up this person. I remember as a child. I remember as a child, and so this was, you know, the boys in our class. I remember going up the steps after recess, and boys would look under our skirts, right? So don't, no one, no one cannot tell me that the way that the way that we treat children is not learned, right? No one can't tell me that it's not learned behavior to treat children, and that's what I always want to go back to. Children have rights. Yes. Children have rights. It's not funny. Yeah. Stop telling your son that it's okay for him to do what he's doing because he likes, that's how he shows that he likes her. Right. Right? Pulling right. her hair, pulling her clothes. I remember when I was a teenager, boys used to pull on bra straps. Yeah. You right? know, they or, or yeah, mm. Mm. brought back I some mean, memories. I mean, yeah. when, if you talk to people, if you sit down and talk to people, they'll tell you things. And I have really been thinking about this, Ty. And I honestly believe that most people who identify as women, people who identify as feminine, femme, people who present themselves in a certain fashion, I believe all of them have experienced something that someone said to them or did to them mm-hmm. that is inappropriate. And then we then we talk about another segment of the population that are boys that identify as male or that are men. And we talk about the stuff that they don't disclose and the heaviness of carrying that as people who are not supposed to be seen as fragile, as people who are supposed to be able to take any kind of sexual advance, no matter who it comes from, whether it comes from the nanny or the babysitter or your auntie or your cousin who's two years older than you. When you hear people's stories and you listen to people tell you things, and I say to myself, oh, no, this is not my situation because my situation is valuable and important. No, 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 no. This is a human people's epidemic okay we love to sit and read things about in this country they're doing child brides and you know in this country you know women don't have the right to do this and these things are happening right in our backyards right in our places of worship these things are happening right Every in, front of our eyes, in our schools in our schools in our after school programs in places that are set up to keep children safe, but are also, and I I hate this reality, but are also infiltrated with predators. They are. Predators, I want everybody to know, predators put themselves in spaces where they can have access. Professions Mm -hmm. where they have access to children. They do. So they have access to children, and that's how these things continue to happen. And that's so true. That's it's exactly how they. It's the two things: the predators position themselves into spaces where they have access to children, and then it is the people who are co-conspirators, and I call them co-conspirators because they know that the crime is happening, and they do absolutely nothing. Absolutely, they say nothing. They do nothing. Um, they are accountable and that's why too. We have to so, criminalize. And that's why we have to criminalize sexual abuse. That's why we have to criminalize sexual abuse because then those people get 
they get charged as accomplices. And they should, as they should, as they should. So I got to same way you're you're an accomplice to to robbery or anything like that. Absolutely, absolutely, because that's exactly what happens to murder, robbery, anything like that Mm -hmm. for sexual abuse. And I know in some states they do prosecute it that way. But you know, again, if we want to see those changes. Um, that's where we need to get involved as citizens, and I have every intention. Um, I've, since I read that you got trained at Darkness to Light, and I was actually looking um, at them and um, the Georgia Ad- Child Advocacy Office for training, because this is exactly the space that I'm now that I've reached a certain place in healing. This is the space I'm ready to move into. I'm ready to go and start to share my story, do some speaking as I write my book, and even go down to Congress and lobby down in Capitol Hill because this is what needs to happen. Um, So I cannot tell you, Atala, this has probably been one one of the most impactful interviews that I have done this entire season, uh, really since I launched the show. Um, I mean, I was really gripped by your perspective and all of this that you had to share. And I can tell that this is your passion. And again, thank you, Ashe, Ashe, for doing this and for staying committed to yourself, to your passion, and for being so pure in your purpose. Um, so before we wrap up, I just want to ask, are there, is there anything that you want to share as a final note on, on what people can do um, or, or, you know, whatever your final thoughts are? I I definitely want to just go back to being present Mm -hmm. and something that's very, something that's very powerful is to be an example, right? Mm -hmm. To be an example. You know, you hear people, the the catchphrase, see something, say something. Yes. But imagine if you're not, you're choosing not to participate in group think and you know that you're doing something or you're with people who are doing things that you know are not based on your standard. You know that they're they're participating in things that where they're not practicing integrity professionally, personally, right? Don't clock out, mm-hmm. right? If you're an educator, don't clock out. And mm-hmm. when you are in these spaces with children, be there, be present, and be an example, right? Speak to them. Have them be a space where they where you're where you're their safe haven. That can save people's lives. That can save people's lives by being a safe haven, by being the person that says, No, I'm not gonna be a part of that. Or that says, Hey, leave her alone. Hey, we're not gonna joke about that. These are children. We're not gonna joke about those kinds of things in front of them. You know, right. we're not going to we're not going to treat them like they're just And if you have that mindset when you wake up in the morning that this is what I do, I will protect people. There will be nobody who is who comes in contact with me that if you need to, you can contact me, Atala Pomoja, online. There are people who will help. There are people who will support, seek therapy, connect with people who want to be a part of serving you. Allow yourself to be served as well. Yes. Allow yourself to be served as well. This 
this is life work. Being alive is work. It is. Right? It is. If, if that's what you've chosen to continue to do, ask for help, <clears throat> receive help, and be of service. Life is about serving yourself and others. And so that's what I want to definitely leave people with. If I can, I definitely want how you can contact me online. And um, give, um, what's your social, okay, just going to tell you, just going to ask you Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say hashtag. I meant to say social media is design, the word design, our, O-U-R, <clears throat> lives, L-I-V-E-S. Design our lives. I believe that you can design the life that you want for yourself. You can do that and also show, and that's how I have chosen to live and to live a life of integrity. And I'm absolutely unapologetic about it. And you can find me everywhere. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Excuse me. I'm on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm on Periscope. You can find me anywhere. You can contact me that way. I am one of those people who I will connect with people on any of those platforms. And we can take it to the next level. And my website is designourlives.co. All right. And so definitely, yes. And Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Atala. I really enjoyed having you on. So I hope that you all have enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've learned something. Um, I hope that it touched you. I hope that you were moved. And I'm going to encourage you to be intentional with your plans and manifest your best. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you found the information to be very helpful to you. If you are in fact living with domestic or sexual assault violence in any form, I encourage you to reach out to Rain at rain.org. There you can find a live chat with someone or you can call the number 1-800-656-HOPE. That is 1-800-656-4673. Whatever you do, I encourage you to get help today and I want you to know that you are not alone.